listening to The Journey Podcast. The Journey is a college and young adult ministry of Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, hey, we really, really missed seeing you guys uh, last week. I'm kind of like Andrea. Um, I, I just did like nothing. And so like I missed you, but I did nothing about it. And so uh, really glad that we're able to be together again. And also, um, I, I kind of like how uh, with, with weather, what we really learn um, is, or one lesson we can learn is that we're not actually in control, that, that God's in control of the weather. And so what that does mean is that for our series, um, there was going to be like kind of a last week, kind of wrap it up week. Um, but with us missing a week, I, I thought, hey, let's just go ahead and wrap it up tonight. I've really enjoyed it. It's been a great series. We've gotten on some, some hot topics, been some hard things, uh, been, been a series where maybe I don't sleep as well on Monday night as I usually do, uh, just because I'm thinking about these things. Uh, and these are heavy things that we want to talk about. But um, I, I believe that uh, kind of got the Lord kind of gave me freedom for us to move on next week to our next series. And so to kind of recap for you, um, if you did not remember, um, what we did the first week is we really set a foundation for the whole series, but also what I think is a foundation for how you should see yourself. Um, not because I'm telling you this is how you should see yourself, because it's how God sees us. And we talked about because in Genesis 1 when it says that God created us, that's, that's, a, that's a really unique thing. And that, that we talked about that we are the, the pinnacle of his creation. Like if, if we were an, an action movie and, and if, if creation were an action movie, we'd be the climax of that movie. We'd be, the, we'd be the best part. We are the best that God saved for last. When he started creating like sun, moon, and stars, galaxies, the crab nebula, incredible, amazing things that make us astonished as we behold them. But even those things, if we look at the order of creation, it's God saying we are even better because we are created in his image. We're not only created by him, we are created what? For him. That's music to my ears. Sweet, that's why I repeat this every week. Get it stuck in there. But I hope it's lost in your heart. We're not only created by God and then like, all right, go do your own thing. No, we're created for him. And so we wanna live in a way that gives him glory. We wanna live in a way that, that's pleasing to God, that, that, that indicates as other people see our lives hey, man, like when they look at us, though imperfectly, they may get a small glimpse of who God is by how we live. And to be honest with you, I'm, I'm going off my sermon points from, from, the, from the first week, like from memory, but the basic idea that we talked about that week that's so important um, is you have to understand your identity as being created in his image, created by him and for him. That's a very, very unique and special, special thing. And so because of that, we launched into our next week and we talked about the concept of racism. And remember, if, if our foundation was that we're, we're the climax of God's creation, we're created in his image, we're created beautiful and, and, and as he looks at us compared to everything else, he said, they're the best I saved for last and that's true for everyone. Remember, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Missing a few colors in that song, but we'll work on that. <laughs> anyway, but we, we learned, okay, if that's, that's true from week one, then 
then racism is a given, right? Like we, we would never look at anyone because of skin color or ethnicity or whatever you, um, category you want to talk about. We wouldn't look at them as less or have bitterness or animosity toward anyone on that basis because what you're looking at is not just another person merely. You're looking at a fellow image bearer. You're looking at someone that God created just like you, that if they're living in their so-called best life, that you should get a small glimpse of who God is by looking at them, right? And so racism is given. Like, it's sinful. It's, it's horrible. It's, it's, it's nasty. And we, we've somehow made this, that topic, um, political. That's how corrupt we are. That's how broken we are as human beings. And the church has mainly been silent on this when we're the only ones with the solution, Right? And so we talked about how important it is that we step into that, that we, that we bridge the, the gap as we got into the topic next week of how do we approach politics. Basically, it's like I didn't tell you how to vote. I, I pointed out maybe some things that were really politics fail us and it really shows our need for Jesus. But overall, the church is called to step into the gap, the gap between what the government can actually do and God's perfect rule. And so if, if God, in a sense, were governor or whatever, supposedly we wouldn't have had any power out of issues. Okay, that's not true. I'm just joking. But whenever we, we compare what the government can provide for us compared to God and his perfect rule and reign, there's a huge gap, right? Because no mere man, no mere woman, no mere politician can provide that for us. And so the church is called to step into the gap where there are, there are poor and, and needy. James tells us in the book of James that, that perfect religion is to care for orphans and widows. And so we don't make it so much about politics. We don't get so political we get biblical, right? We look and see how, does the scriptures, how do the scriptures tell us to live. And remember, all that started from the foundation of we're created in the image of God that we gotta start there. And I started there, I will tell you, man, racism, pretty, pretty intense topic, for sure. But for me, it's such a given. It's so, so obviously a sin. But tonight, tonight is the reason that I was so diligent about setting that foundation. Tonight, what we're gonna talk about, having that foundation laid that I just spent six minutes laying out instead of getting into the content of the sermon is so important because tonight what we're going to be talking about is a topic of LGBTQ plus and what you should know is even since I was like a freshman in college there have been several letters added and a plus symbol and so like it seems like it's there's there's even I'm like been practicing saying that because I'm not gonna have to say those letters several times I may get them mixed up sometime in the sermon y'all can laugh make light of it but I'm just gonna tell you, if you missed any of these sermons before and you walk away confused tonight, there's a reason. There's been a methodology of how we've gone through these. So I encourage you, go back and listen to them and then come back and listen to tonight's. Y'all with me? Thumbs up? We good? We here? Great, you're as nervous as I am. That's encouraging. <laughs> so, what I'm gonna encourage you in, one of my goals, is the church needs to flip the script on this issue. Do you know what that means? It, it, it means, you, you, let's change the situation. Let, let's do an entire 180. 
Like, here's the way we're going, here's the narrative, here's the story. We need to flip the script. The, the common narrative has been that the, the church, I actually don't believe this. I don't see this with believers that I've rubbed shoulders with really closely. So brothers and sisters that are really close to me, I haven't seen this. But the, the narrative that gets played the loudest seems to portray that the church is doing a lot of damage, that, that the church um, hates the LGBTQ plus community. Um, we, it's been a few years since it was really predominant, but, um, I, and I do not say this to be grotesque, I'm just quoting what the signs say, but when we see someone, especially a Baptist church, Westboro Baptist church, holding up a sign that says, God hates fags, you, you can't really blame uh, some people for assuming that that must be what all Christians believe, right? Y'all with me? Y'all remember that? Okay. And so I think a, a, a predominant narrative that's been driving is something that basically we're, we're doing damage. We're having a negative impact upon this community and, and speaking the gospel in there, speaking truth into those that are identifying under any other identity besides a heterosexual identity. And so rather than damaging our witness, what I'm gonna encourage you in is to flip the script. We need to start living in a way that actually impacts those that identify somewhere on that spectrum positively for the sake of the gospel and for God's glory. And so here is our question tonight. It's exactly that. How do Christians have a positive impact upon the LGBTQ plus community? Let me, let me offer a caveat for us. Um, I, I just, I'm thinking statistically when I look at college students, when I know there's a, a massive like secular university here known as Texas Tech University of 50,000 or so, uh, give or take, students and several other uh, uh, colleges in, um, in the area, I know that there, there's probably someone in this room or several people in this room who may identify somewhere in here or at least has kept it hidden or secret, um, maybe because of shame or, or Maybe just because you don't want people to know or you're, you're in a, a Baptist church and, and you're just assuming, hey, I need to keep this under wraps. And so I wanna let you know that I'm aware of that. And I'm also aware that there are some of you in this room, maybe several, um, who are like me, who have um, a friend or someone you're close to, a sibling, um, that you are maybe, um, you know, a son or daughter of a relative um, maybe it's your brother or sister, I, I don't know. Maybe it's one of your parents um, who your parents were married and then one day uh, you woke up and, and found out that dad doesn't like women. And, and I'm not, that, I don't say that jokingly. I mean, that, that could be some of your stories or vice versa. And so I know that there are some people in this room that that's been your situation, that someone you're really close to is identifying under this umbrella of the LGBTQ plus community. And I wanna tell you, this is what I'm gonna say tonight, is, is not, not to be hurtful, it's to be helpful. And I'm gonna get into it, but um, the Bible, just like would any form of adultery, <laughs> uh, pornography, um, just like pride and, and arrogance, um, just like comparing yourselves to others, just like drunkenness, just like, I could go on and on, self-consumption, I, 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 just like any other sin, the Bible 
cause this sin. And so I'm not saying these things to be hurtful. I'm saying it to be helpful, just like a doctor would be incredibly unloving after they did their, their MRI and their scans to find out you have a massive cancer lump on your kidneys and not tell you. Sometimes you gotta point out the disease out of love. And so that's what I am doing. I don't win any popularity points um, in this sermon tonight. Um, and that's not why that I preach God's word. And so here's where I'm gonna flip the script for this sermon. I'm not excited about the discomfort that maybe you experience. Maybe some of the ways you've been viewing this issue maybe it will have you come face to face with God and actually what he says. And that may be in opposition to what you think and what you believe. And I'm not excited about you realizing that and that realizing that in that moment that you and your creator who's created you in his image, the one who designed you. I'm, I'm not excited about it. maybe that some of you come to the realization and you realize that you are at odds with him. I'm not excited about that, but here's what I am excited about. I'm excited about the possibility of you trusting and embracing that God is wise and that he knows what he's talking about, that you may finally believe that the one who created you has a pretty good idea about how the humans, us, who he created, best flourish and best function. And that would be within the confines of a heterosexual identity. That's what I'm excited about. And so I want you to lean in as best as you can. I want the guards to, to come down because you have someone here that even if you just can't stand the message of this, that actually is doing this in, in love and in sincerity. Y'all still with me? I'm gonna ask you that every now and then. If you say no, I'm probably gonna still keep going. But like, anyway, it's just good to know if you're still with me. All right. Here's the first thing I wanna look at. We have a positive impact upon the LGBTQ plus community by first defining our terms, okay? And here's what I mean. We must define our terms according to scripture. And so here's some examples. Um, love, okay? So a, a love is, and specifically like romantic love, right? And so it's, it's a love for the opposite sex um, that is ultimately for the glory of God and to be another reflection of God's beauty and his image. That, that's a good definition of love. And, and, and marriage is between one male and one female. And they unite. And a wedding would be a ceremony, a celebration of a marriage between one male and one female in exchange of rings and vows and before God. Even, you remember the minister always says, does anyone object to this? And if you've ever been in the wedding where someone said yes, I wanna hear about that story because that sounds hilarious. But most of the time, maybe like 99.9% .9 of the time, it, no one says anything, right? It's like, yeah, if it's a really Christian wedding in the, in the backwoods of the country, like, amen, brother, all right? And then they get married and let them kiss the bride. Woohoo! let's go, you know what I mean? I grew up in Sweetwater. If you don't know where that is, just Google it. Um, if it's on Google, I think Google's getting there. It's a super small town. Anyway, um, so, and then here's another definition when we talk about um, sex. And so I'm not gonna get into, a, 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 there's a lot of definitions for that, but it should be had, a, a romantic, probably the, the pinnacle of what one male and one female can experience in love physically with one another. It's the consummation of their, their marriage. Design. When we talk about design, what we mean is God's design, like how he created things to be. Not like a, 
We can make up several other designs or reinvent the wheel. Like He's the divine architect. He, he built us, he made us, so he knows how we best function. It's his design. We don't get to go in and change it. Um, male and, and female. I, I mean a biological male and biological female. What, what someone was when they were, were born. I don't mean this in a mean way, but like, what common sense leads you to believe. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what we mean by male and female. No jujitsu over pronouns or whatever, just like a common sense, male and female. What were you when you were born? What was your physical, physical biology? And lastly, pronouns. And so when the Bible says he, the Bible means he. When the Bible says she, it, he means a male. She means a female. There are many times in the New Testament where you see brothers and there's a little number next to it or something, and at the bottom it says brothers and sisters. That's the word adelphoi. It's a plural, meaning brothers and sisters. And so the, the Bible, when it, it, those are the pronouns. That's how pronouns have always worked. That's just how language works. He means a biological male. She means a biological female. And so we define those terms. And so I, I, can, I can remember talking with a Muslim in Virginia at one of the campuses there where Caitlin and I were sharing the gospel. And when you talk to a Muslim, one thing they'll say is like, you're a Christian, you don't believe God is one. And I'm like, yes, I do. I sure do believe God is one. And they're like, well, no, you don't. I'm like, yes, I do. And finally, they just kind of went back and forth like this childish like debate. And I'm like, no, I believe God is one. They're like, good, good, good. Well, you're some other Christian guy said that, that God, is, God is not one. I'm like, well, go tell him that he doesn't no theology, that he's wrong. And they, they laughed, and it was a great conversation. But you know what was happening there was he means Allah is one. <laughs> he did not mean the God of the Bible who is in Trinity, Father, Spirit, Son, three persons, one God. We can explain that another time, another series, whatever. But that is how God reveals himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. And so if we were to walk away just thinking, hey, we both believe in the same God because we say God is one, that would have been super confusing. I would have affirmed someone that the Bible says isn't following Jesus and going to hell apart from him unless they believe in the one true God. That would have been super confusing, right? And so we're not on the same page. There's a false affirmation that is, is not reflective of reality. And that's what happens when we talk to our friends and people that we're trying to reach within the LGBTQ spectrum. We have to clarify our terms. We don't want to give this false sense of affirmation. We don't wanna say, if they say, hey, I think love is the most important thing in the world. Well, Christians kind of believe that too, right? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength. That's the Deuteronomy version. There's, there's some that, anyway. All right, and so, we, we believe that too, right? And then love your neighbor as yourself. Like, hey, I think love, yeah, that's a great commandment. I can, I can jive with that. Love is the most important thing. But what do they mean by love? They mean love according to their own terms. It's not a love that to glorify God. It's, it's a love that's fluid and it moves however they would like for it, it to move and be directed for however they feel like they identify. You see where I'm going with that? And so we gotta clarify terms because it would be unfair. It wouldn't even be truthful, um, to, to be a Christian who believes that the Bible is true, which I think is one of the big pinnacle, one of the big things about what it means to be a Christian, you have to believe that this is true. We've gotta clarify terms. And so we have a positive impact upon the LGBTQ plus movement by first defining our terms. But I find there are actually other key things that we've got to change. And by the way, if you're first time, this Bible's not just up here for a prop. We're getting there, but we're laying some groundwork. There's some other things. I find 
we gotta change some other things to better impact this movement with the gospel, which is our goal. We want to shine light into darkness. And so how do we have a positive impact upon the LGBTQ plus community? We have a positive impact upon them by being honest about what this book says. So what does the Bible say? Well, starting in Genesis 19, there's lots of sin going on in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Anyone who tells you it was only homosexuality, I say this in love, they don't know their Bible and they probably haven't even read the entire book of Genesis. Just gonna be honest, because you wouldn't arrive at that conclusion. There's lots of sin going on there, but one of them was for sure homosexuality, and God destroyed the city. How do I know there was more than that? It's because the, the warning of God was like, if I don't find righteous people there, the, the city's gonna be destroyed. He didn't say, if I, if I find a bunch of uh, gay guys there, I'm gonna destroy the city. He said, no, just any righteous person. Remember how the number dwindled down, from like 50 to like 10 or so? Like, even 10 in a city. Like there was all forms of unrighteousness going on in this city. And so we know that God destroyed the city and one of the sins that, that caused, that provoked God's wrath was homosexuality. And then Leviticus 18, 22 says very explicitly, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And then your objection could, to, to that could be, well, Leviticus also prohibits eating shellfish. That is outdated. I, I eat fish. I, I eat fish. Am I breaking Le, Leviticus law? Well, here's the thing. In the New Testament, Jesus declared all foods clean. Did you know that? That was a big deal when he came. Because all food things clean. He said it's not what goes into the body. It's what? What? What comes out, that's what makes you impure. Thank you, Jesus. Like, I love a good salmon. You know what I'm talking about? I don't think salmon, anyway, all right. I, I think, who likes shellfish in here? Any type of shellfish? Okay, good. And so, here's the thing, though. He, Jesus declared all foods clean to eat, but Jesus did not declare all sexual orientations as clean. I, I, wanna, I wanna go back, because for some reason, this argument has existed, and like, boom, like just, Roasted, done, over with. I want you to hear this. People say this. Well, Leviticus also says they about shellfish. No, no, no. Jesus declared all foods clean. But he didn't declare all sexual orientations as clean. It's one of the worst arguments. I, I, I don't know how it's lasted. It's done. I could, like, I didn't destroy it. It's like many men and women before me have destroyed that argument. And so, one of them was a matter of law, the eating. The other is a matter of God-ordained design for human flourishing. Does that make sense? It's, it's trying to take what God's designed and change it. The other is just eating this or eating that. All right, another objection. So here, covered Old Testament. Most people know Old Testament is bad news uh, for the sin of homosexuality and really all kinds of sins. But here's what some people say. Well, the New Testament, though, Cole, this is the New Testament scholar talking to me. Um, <laughs> the New Testament is just all about love and acceptance and grace for any lifestyle. For any lifestyle. So, okay, cool. Well, let's look at see what the New Testament has to say about it. Um, Y'all turn with me. We're gonna go to the New Testament now. Romans chapter one, 26 to 27. Romans chapter one, 26 to 27. 
I'm gonna go through these fast, and so I've said this before, if you're a Bible driller, like tonight is your night, like you're gonna shine. If not, I'm sorry, maybe use your phone. Romans chapter 1, 26 to 27 says this, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. What does dishonorable passions mean? Basically, that's a negative connotation, passions they shouldn't have. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. If you say that that's not referring to the, the sin of homosexuality, I, I just don't trust your integrity. That's, it's very, very, very clear. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Just one book over after Romans. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. It goes on, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. How did you notice something there? Do you notice that it didn't just focus on homosexuality? That's super important. Can I I say something to you that don't struggle with this, but maybe struggle on being judgmental? If your Christianity gets angry about homosexuality, but not your own porn addiction, you didn't check your heart. That is unacceptable. If you yell and get passionately and hateful, I'm, I'm not talking about just political, but hateful towards that community, and you're constantly sizing up other girls and thinking that you're better than them and so glad that your outfit is better, whatever it may be, that is sinful and heinous and has no place in the kingdom of God. Scripture, our God is looking. at All these sins are, are listed. This is Apostle Paul writing this. And yes, there's grace. There's, there's a gospel. We're getting there. We get there every single week. What you gotta know is all of these sins are egregious. They're taking the image of God and just throwing mud on it and dung and just, just, just marring it. And yes, one of those sins was, of course, homosexuality. Y'all go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. It says this. So let me start at verse eight. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners. Again, so what's about to happen? The ungodly and sinners. It's about to lay out several different sins, right? For the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers. The violence against parents, it's pretty intense. For murderers, pretty intense. The sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Again, lumped in with a bunch of other sins. Doesn't say it's worse than others. It just, it is in there. So Christian, again, don't be imbalanced. Don't be imbalanced because, man, if you, uh, remember uh, when Jesus talked about murder in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, you've heard that it's read, do not murder, but he says, I tell you to even look at someone with hate in your heart is to murder them. So if you've ever hated someone, you murdered. That's the intensity. Jesus raises the standard of the law. So if you've ever had ill thoughts towards someone, ever wished that they, something bad would happen to them because of what they did to you, whatever, you're, you're right here. You ever said a lie? We're, we're, you're in that. 
your first time here at The Journey, we're so glad that you're here. Like, so glad you're here. It's, it's awesome. I know it's a really encouraging community. Uh, you don't even have to tell me I know. Uh, it's just great. It's, it's a great ministry. Anyway, I'm joking. All right, a little, little comedic relief. All right, lastly, Jude chapter one, verse seven. Jude chapter one. First John, second John, third John, Jude and Revelation. I had to sing the song, I'm not even gonna lie. We got there. Jude only has one chapter, so really it's just Jude seven. All right. <laughs> just as Sodom and Gomorrah, which is the story from Genesis 19, the first book of the Bible, two cities, God rained down fire and sulfur, judging their sin, their unrighteousness, their evil, which included homosexuality. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality, so all kinds, and pursued unnatural desire. Natural desire? Unnatural desire. Serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Oh, what was the objection? The New Testament is acceptance, acceptance of any lifestyle. I don't, man, I don't think so. Um, you gotta get rid of like some pretty good books. I like Romans, I don't know about you, Romans is pretty good. I don't wanna get rid of that. I'm, I'm gonna cry if I didn't have Romans. I'm on an island by myself like forever, like gonna die eventually without water, like I want, I want Romans. If I get one book, Romans, all right? Just saying. First Corinthians, first Timothy, Jude. Jude, nah, it's good, I mean maybe, but yeah. Let's get some good stuff in there. I don't wanna get rid of these. You have to get rid of them, and we shouldn't, because they're in God's word. So I think that, would you agree that the New Testament is not acceptant of every single lifestyle, but maybe the lifestyle that God would have for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, I need a water break. I'm ready for, like, winter to be over and all these weather changes, like, seven degrees one day, 77 the other, like, yo, I'm not old, but I'm too old for this, you know what I'm saying? Like, gosh, dang. All right, so here, here's another objection. We're going through these, guys. Like, I want you to see scripture, scripture, scripture. Well, it's, some people say well, it's only addressing males. Well, Romans 1 mentioned females. Y'all remember that? Remember, uh, let's go back. Y'all are confused. I'm just joking. All right, Romans 1, 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relationships for those that are contrary to nature. I mean, there you go. And so, like, it's a reference also the females, and also, remember what I said about brothers, a lot of times in scripture is Adelphoi, it's the plural meaning of, of, of brothers and sisters. A lot of times when that's, that's the greeting, that was a predominantly masculine worldview that they had, and so they, it included male and female. All right, so we keep moving on. Um, some other people will say it doesn't condemn loving, committed, consensual same-sex relationships. Anyone ever heard that? The Bible doesn't condemn this consensual relationship. All right, let's look at it. I would tell you what that's called is it's called an argument from silence. It's saying, well, the Bible doesn't say to do this. Like, the, the Bible doesn't say for me to go down to Jace Higgins, it doesn't say that I can't throw a basketball at his head. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm gonna do it, right? And so like, it doesn't say that, anyway, I, I'm, I'm gonna get in trouble with another example anyway. But Jace did hit me in the head with the ball one time and it hurt really bad. For those of you that saw that, you know what I'm talking about. Super mean. 
Vengeance belongs to the Lord and me. Just one time. I'll get you someday, man. All right. So it doesn't condemn loving, committed to same-sex relationships, consensual relationships. And so that's an argument basically saying just because it doesn't say it very specifically, it must not apply. Well, here, again, Romans chapter 1. For their women exchanged natural relationships for those that were contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relationships with women, were consumed with passion for one another. It doesn't say the men were coerced, the women were coerced. Um, And notice it says that God gave them up to dishonorable passions. You know, when you're passionate about something, it's something that you want to do, right? Right? When you're passionate about something, it's something that you want to do. So when someone forces you to do something that you don't want to do, you don't call that a passion, right? Hope not. Teach some, some vocabulary lessons tonight. So again, Romans 1 covers, this is consensual, even that. that uh, here's another thing. Secular Roman historians found that these type of relationships, consensual, any, actually I think multiple, all over the spectrum, they found examples of these relationships. This is not a modern invention. I hope you know that. It's been around for thousands of years. Lastly, last objection. Some people, and this is a big one because a lot of you, most of you in the room have never taken Greek You've never taken the original languages of scripture. And so what will happen is that some dude who took one semester of Greek who's, who is just diametrically opposed to historical Orthodox biblical Christianity will then do some word jujitsu and then we'll say that the Greek word doesn't mean homosexuality the way we mean it today. And so here's a little education for you. This was coined from Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 1. This word is arsenokoitai. You can say tai, te, whatever, arsenokoitai. And so the word that they're referring to is that. They're saying this didn't refer to homosexuality. That's when you hear Christians that say it's okay to be gay and commit those things, this, this is like the bedrock of their argument. So if you look at this, you break this word down, arsenokoitai, Arson means men, koitai means bed. And so it means men who bed with other men. And Paul coined this term from Leviticus 18. Let's go back to Leviticus 18. It says, 18.22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Here's what's really interesting. There is a Greek transliteration of the Hebrew text called the Septuagint. If you read that and have the ability to read Greek, what you'll find in Leviticus 18 and 20 is that word, arsenokoitai. Paul is deliberately pulling from the Old Testament for the coining of this word. Like he has in mind, he's showing us that was a sin in the, under the Old Covenant. It is a sin under the New Covenant. So he has in mind all that was written from the Old Testament showing there's a continuation Jesus declared all foods clean. He did not declare all lifestyles and and all orientations to be clean. He's wanting to show us that the New Testament is in harmony with the Old Testament. That's worth explaining to you guys because sometimes I think a lot of you can do Bible studies, you can thrive, but sometimes you just got to know what the text actually says. When you start pulling out the Greek, doing some jujitsu, that's where your pastors come in and we're trying to shepherd you and show you those things. You guys still with me? This is one of these nights where it's 
little inappropriate for funny stories. And so I don't know if you've caught on to that. This next one is obvious, and we're gonna wrap it up after that. How do we have a positive impact upon the LGBTQ plus movement? Well, we said we gotta define our terms. We gotta be honest about what the Bible says. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse four. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse four. We wanna flip the script. We, we want desperately as Christians to not be seen as bigoted, as hateful, as mean, as closed-minded. And I think this verse is gonna help us with that. Starting in verse four. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. Friends, we can have a positive impact upon the LGBTQ plus community by demonstrating a biblical love. And what is that? Look at this. It shows us. It says it. Love is colon. It doesn't have a colon. Love is, and then it shows us all these things. It's patient. Be patient with that community. Be kind with that community. Don't be envious or boastful toward them. Do not be arrogant or rude. Think about a world, this is, this is a total pipe dream, where Chris, no Christian alive, past, present, or future, was arrogant or rude. Where would be in a totally different place with our posture towards this LGBTQ plus community. It does not insist on its own way. It's not selfish. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. It's a, when verse seven, when it says it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, it's a, it's a I got your back love. It's a, I'm here for you love. It's, it's a biblical love towards someone even identifying with another sexual orientation that makes you feel uncomfortable. But as God says, it's knowing that they're still created in his image, even if they don't care about his image. And just because they want to mar their image or change it, we can still look at them and love them according to reality. We don't have to participate in their distortion of reality. We can be in God's reality. We can say, no, I'm going to see you the way God sees you, even though you don't care. And so if that's true, if we're supposed to love them, can I go to a gay wedding? Remember my caveat. Let me ask you something. We're gonna go back to being honest about what the Bible says. My caveat was, and I know some of you are in this same position. Some of you have been in the past, present, and future. And I'll tell you, I don't own the monopoly on truth for this answer, 
but I'm gonna take a whack at it. I was asked this by two guys I'm, I'm discipling a few weeks ago, and I think this is my best shot at this question. So can we go to a gay wedding? You remember the term wedding? We define our terms between one biological male and one biological female in union with one another under the eyes of God. So to violate God's term, God's definition of wedding is, is sin. And to rejoice in someone doing wrong is also sin because 1 Corinthians 13 says, in verse six, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. And so how can you go to a gay wedding, which is a celebration, a joyful celebration, and a violation of God's definition of wedding, love, and marriage, and sex, identity, and not be rejoicing in wrongdoing. I don't think you can. I think what the Bible has shown us is that actually in an attempt to love that person, what we've done is we've done the opposite. We've rejoiced in their wrongdoing. And there's grace for that. Here's why I know there's grace for that. <laughs> because I did it. <laughs> I had a gay roommate. I didn't know he was gay until we'd already signed the lease on our daggum apartment. <laughs> and he came out our first day of the first semester. <laughs> and man, that was, that was hard and frustrating because loving is one thing, but Living with him and him bringing his boyfriends over is a different thing entirely. I don't even affirm heterosexual relationships going past those boundaries. But I remember on that first day of the school year, me was going in the ministry, another guy going in the ministry, and our friend Mason, who decided to come out and say he was gay, were all sitting in the living room. It's pretty serious because we're like, Man, we had our suspicions, but we asked you and you said no. And so he comes out of the closet, right? That's, 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 the, term, that's the term we use. And I remember him asking, do you guys think it's a sin? I've already taken Greek one and two. I know the answer. And I was silent. And we asked him, well, what do you think? And he said, I don't. And I sat silently as my other buddy next to me said to him, well, I guess if you don't think it's a sin, then it's not. It's okay. Guys, I don't even know where Mason is today. He had so many partners that year between August and May, I lost count. And I'm not saying I could have saved him. But I did, I did in, that, in that moment one of, the, one of the most hateful things that I could ever do and lied to his face. I knew the truth. <laughs> I knew, yeah, you can have those temptations. You can have those just like any other sin. But to totally 
define yourself by that. Just like some of you guys and girls, and girls out there now, you don't define yourself. I, I'm, a, I'm a porn addict. Don't, don't make that your identity. If you're in Christ, Christ is your identity. If you struggle with pride, I'm a prideful bigot. No, that's not your identity. If you're obsessed with gaming and addicted to, to drugs or alcohol, you're partying, you're, you're having sex all that you want. You're like, you're, you're, none of those things define you. But I watched my friend who asked me, is this sin? Is this wrong? I let him define him as that. And I didn't even try to preach the gospel there. I didn't even try to tell him the truth and love. And the most hateful thing that I did, because I didn't want him to not be my friend anymore, I didn't want him to be mad at me, is I participated in Romans 1. I was part of him being handed over to his passions, and I did not stand in the gap. I did not do it. So I don't talk to you as this bigoted Baptist preacher who thinks he knows it all and has a predictable answer now, I talked to you as someone who did it, and I regret it every day. But I learned from it. I've had dreams of being able to go back to that moment and open the scriptures with him and pray with him and tell him, dude, I, like, I, I love you. You don't have to change this on the spot. We can, we can work through this, but you gotta know this is gonna wreck you. I wish I could have. But I didn't. And so the most, <laughs> the most, unloving thing that I did is I rejoiced at his wrongdoing. I affirmed it. So what can you do today to help me out as I'm holding back tears and I can tell you one thing, this can be redeemed. I've learned from my mistakes. I've learned I would rather someone hate me for being truthful and love than love me as I actually hate them, according to what the Bible says. Let me say that one more time. I'd rather someone hate me for speaking the truth in love than someone love me as I'm hating them, according to the Bible's definition. And so learn from my mistakes, that's what I ask you to do. If you get the chance to demonstrate biblical love to someone struggling or identifying in this spectrum somewhere, show it. You won't regret it. I'm gonna ask the band to come up. Friends, this is a, this is one of these talks I do where I don't sleep on Monday night and I don't sleep on Tuesday night. You, you, you feel my, feel my gist? You see what I'm talking about? Like this is one of these things that are, that are hard to talk about. I don't, again, I don't own the monopoly on truth. I'm gonna be older and wiser someday and I may, I may change some things, I may emphasize some things, but I gotta, I gotta be honest with you, from the very bottom of my heart, this is my best whack at it. This is my best shot. This is all, this is all that I got. What I've presented, this is the best that I can do. 29 years old, been reading the Bible for a while, been studying, learning this issue for a while. 10 years from now, I'll be much better, hopefully, God willing. I just wanna know this isn't just some talk that's just in line with what most Baptists believe. I think what we've talked about tonight is as close to scripture, as close to God's heart as I can be. It's as close to living according to God's design as I possibly can think of. And so again, what's been the common narrative? The common narrative is that Christians have had a negative impact, that we're hateful, that we're unloving. 
while the Bible portrays this dominant narrative of love. Amen, does it not? What the Bible portrays for us, the best part about it is not that we flip the script. The best part about Scripture is that Jesus flips the script. Amen? The best part about Scripture is that Jesus meets those that are broken, which is you and me. It's when Jesus actually, with his body, touches a leper who was seen as unclean in society that was cast out. It reminds you of a certain community of people today, LGBTQ+. And Jesus flips the script and he's willing to come amidst who culture or even, even the Jews of the day, even who are supposed to be God's people, the most loving. And he comes down in flesh for us and allows brokenness to touch him. He gets messy. He jumps in to this mess. He loves us and he flips the script. He loves every single one of us with infinite love, even though we're infinitely undeserving of it. Guys, if that's not your Jesus, I invite you to believe in him today. If, you're, if your Jesus can't love the homosexual, then I invite you to believe in the real Jesus today. If your Jesus can't love the lesbian, if your Jesus can't love the transsexual or anyone on any spectrum outside of heterosexual identity, if your Jesus can't love them and offer the gospel to them, then I invite you to the real Jesus today. If Jesus can't love the porn addict in your worldview, then I invite you to believe in the real Jesus today. He's ready to flip the script in our lives. He's ready to take us back to who we are, our identity created in his image. And so that's, that's the Jesus of the Bible that I invite you to. Let him flip the script in your life so that we can begin to flip the script in our world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. These are heavy topics, but God, you are a heavy, glorious God. The word kabod, glory, means heavy. And so you meet us with a heavy glory and beauty in this place. So as we worship you and declare your worth and your goodness, God, we sing to you the God who loves those that are seen as broken and unworthy of love. And we thank you for that. May you flip the script in our life so we can do so in others. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you are encouraged by today's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about The Journey, check us out on Instagram or Facebook at The Journey LBK. Thanks for listening.